Good morning, everyone. Will you please pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, Beloved Jesus Christ, Blessed Master, Saints and Sages of all religions, I bow to all of you. Free my life from all obstacles. And give me physical, mental, and spiritual development. Make my mind thy temple. Make my heart thy altar. Make my love thy home. Be thou the only king. Reigning on the throne of my consciousness. here today. I feel great joy. Reading from The Divine Life by Swami Ramdas. One of the interesting things you'll note that as far as I know, this is the only book in which Papa writes in first person, referring to himself as I and me. How God came into my life. The human being is gifted with reason, which can be best utilized by him to develop a keen aspiration for God, backed up but with intense dispassion for sense enjoyments. Now, what is the aim of life? It is happiness. This cherished aim is fulfilled by realizing God, who is eternal happiness. The pleasures I derived from the objects of the senses were not only transitory, but were also accompanied by pain and grief, a fact I came to know too well. So I engaged myself in an all-around effort to divert the mind from the ephemeral objects to the eternal source of life, God. God, who is the absolute existence, consciousness, and bliss, is within me. Withdrawing the mind from the unreal, external things of life, I let it flow continuously towards him through a steady remembrance brought brought about by a ceaseless chanting of his holy name. Constant remembrance purified and controlled my mind. Now the mysterious grace of Guru, which awakened me in the first instance to seek God, completed its task by removing the mask of ignorance which enveloped my soul for ages, with the result that a flood of illumination poured out, permeating my body, senses, and all the worlds. In this splendor, my soul was lost, followed by the dawn of a cosmic consciousness and the knowledge of my still and all-pervading Atman, or Self. Yet another vision, more exalted, more perfect, and more joyous, awaited my illumined self. And this is the fusion of the Atman 
with the universal manifestation. In other words, I realize that the Atman and the universe are one. This magnificent vision and experience, based on the realization of the Absolute Self, transform me, the human being, into the veritable embodiment of God in all his aspects. As my soul stepped from the arrival, excuse me, as my soul stepped from the animal to the human, it now stepped from the human into the divine, the Purushottama, a spiritual come physical evolution, the grandest finale, the supreme fulfillment of God's will to reveal himself in all his sublimity in this human being. Verily, God is the seeker, and God is the sought. This is his inscrutable Leela. Truly, my soul and God, Jiva and Brahman, are one, all victory to him. Yet, the highest spiritual possibilities are not exhausted. The sweetest and dearest relationship with him, near and personal, which I maintained all along the initial struggle and aspiration, has at present become real, intimate, and permanent. He is now my constant companion as a careful mother and beneficent master. In the face of man, beast, and bird, nay, all of creatures and things also, I behold him, my beloved. Again, all victory to him. Well, the place I had marked has been changed by Papa's inscrutable will, so we'll read this. Invincible name. By the repetition of the divine name, your mind is not only purged of all of its impure thoughts and desires, but it is also lifted to the loftiest state of consciousness in which you realize your union and oneness with God. Of all the disciplines of controlling the restless mind, there is none so easy and efficacious as the taking of the divine name. But there is a way in the repetition of it, and that is, it must be uttered with full faith and love for it. Then only you will feel that the Lord's name is very, very sweet. The difficulty with some is that they cannot repeat the name continuously, although they desire to do so. The reason for this is that their love for the name is not greater than their love for the perishable objects of the world. It is a psychological truth that our mind thinks most of the objects which we love most, because our concentrated love inevitably influences the mind to remember that object. So also, if our mind is fired with an intense love for the name, this love will automatically enable us to remember the name constantly. When this love is lukewarm and unsteady, our remembrance of the name will correspondingly become unsteady and broken. When the necessary intensity of love for the name is present, our mind will dwell uninterruptedly on the name. As an example, 
We find in a household that the mother loves her youngest child most. And even when the child is in its cradle, beyond the sight of the mother, she will not fail to keep a sustained remembrance of the baby. What does make the mother thus keep up a steady stream of remembrance of the baby? We have to admit that it is her concentrated love for the baby. Similarly, if we love God beyond everything else in the world, this love will automatically maintain in our mind a continuous flow of God remembrance. The name of God will start on our tongue spontaneously and will run on it continuously. Further, the sweet sound issuing from the utterance of the name will prove to be a veritable nectar to the attentive ear. When thus the mind is inebriated, as it were, with the love of God and filled with the music of his name, all its desires will be transmuted into divine weaves of ecstasy. Excuse me, into divine waves of ecstasy. And all the moments of the senses will be saturated by the same joy. In this state, vision of God will flesh out through our eyes, raising us to the supreme status of universal vision. This is the ineffable summit of divine union and revelation. Really blessed is the soul who keeps the divine name always on his lips. A saint has rightly said that the devotee who is blessed is really a jiva jivamukta, or liberated soul. Where the divine thought ceaselessly dwells, there the ego sense is absent. There self-surrender is complete. There the vision of God everywhere is attained. The power of the divine name is invincible. It can convert pain into joy. It can change death into immortality. Nay, it can transform our entire life into the very being and consciousness of the all-pervading and all-inclusive Godhead. Apologize for a couple of mispronunciations. My eyes were welling up with tears as I was reading this and it disturbed my vision. Nowhere, I think, can we find the greatest truths articulated in such simple language as we do with Papa. He writes with intense devotion and realization based on his own experience. And that translates itself into a powerful vibration coming through the words themselves. The fact that we are not fired with this divine quest and that it is not all-consuming is a product of the idea that we have not fully comprehended 
what the realization of God can bring into our lives. No matter how long we have been upon the spiritual path, no matter how long we have practiced, if we do not have that all-consuming desire for God experience that transcends our attachments to this world, that transcends our fears, then we have not really yet put our first step upon the path in a significant way. To aspire for God-realization means to go to the source of all happiness. Most of us are in a mixed state. We feel some happiness of being with God and during our meditation. But then we are equally or perhaps more so drawn out into the things of the world. And this is based upon the idea that this world has something to really offer us. And the truth is that this world will always give us alternating waves of pleasure and pain, of fulfillment and lack of fulfillment. And no matter how good this life gets, it will always be seen as a temporary kind of happiness that does not really fulfill us on a soul level. And consciously or unconsciously, we know this. And so the more we try to put our trust and our faith in this world, the more we feel that we are on shaky ground. We have to work harder. We have to strive harder. We have to do more to try to solidify this quicksand of material life that we are trying to stand upon. But make no mistake about it, it is always quicksand. It will always dissolve underneath your feet. And the more you strive to try to build structures and to try to build your life and your happiness upon this earth, the more desperate will become your cause. It's an interesting feature that when you are around people who have more money and more access to income and wealth, the more the discussion seems to alternate around that subject. How to earn more, how to have more, how to keep what is had. And that's an interesting thing to get into because you would think that if you had somebody else's money, somebody was just making the comment the other day about Paul Allen and Bill Gates, who are the co-founders of Microsoft, and how they must just kick back and enjoy their time and be on eternal vacation. But when you get around their lives, you see that that's not so. The demands on them are terrific. And they feel the stress and they feel the pressure of this life and how to utilize their money in a good way, and how to keep it growing, and how to use it in ethical and good ways. They're good people. But it doesn't alleviate them from the stresses and strains of this life. It's a fool's gold that we seek after when we seek after this world, and the things of this world. And so we should strive. 
We should put God first and strive with everything in our being in order to attain that Godhead. Once having attained that and then having it saturated our complete being, we are then prepared to enter into this world. We have the antidote for the poison of this world, and if we should get bit by this world, we will be immune to its poison. But until then, we are susceptible to the things of this world. Now, we still have to live in this world. So how do we keep the mind immune to succumbing into the things of this world to be swallowed up by its illusion? And we do that by love of God and constant remembrance of God. Now, Mother and Papa and Master all emphasize the love of God. And for some people, that seems a foreign concept. Well, I like to seek God. I want to realize God, but I don't know about this idea of loving God. What is that all about? And the fact is, is that when you love, you have no problem at all keeping your mind upon the object of your beloved. It comes to you. And you want that. And you want that more than anything else. And when we fall in love with another person, we feel literally like we can climb any mountain and cross any sea, as the song goes. We want to be with that one. We feel ourselves pouring out to be with that individual. How much greater is the love of God when it infects our being? It begins to swell your heart and you feel yourself run out towards God. You want to embrace God. You want to know God. You want to be absorbed in that divine presence. All the things of this world begin to pale into insignificance when you feel that bhakti, when you feel that love and devotion for God. Your spiritual practice is no longer a dry, dull affair. It is enlivened, it is empowered with the passion for the divine. And some will think, but do I really want that? Because that means I'll leave behind all the things of this world and perhaps I'll miss out on something. You know, some children are born into this life and they have a difficult time going to sleep at nighttime because they just don't want to miss out on anything. But whatever this world represents to you, God is that much greater. The creator of this creation is greater than the creation itself, and yet we don't treat it that way. We act as if God is some secondary kind of gain. And that if we have it, that's okay, but if we miss it, well, maybe that's all right too, but don't let me miss dinner. Because then I'll be really out of sorts. Or don't let me miss my favorite program. Because, oh, just let my heart yearn for that. And all these different things that we find ourselves growing in importance. And then at the end of the day, well, I'm so tired. I don't think that I'll meditate tonight. I'll just go to sleep. I'll get up extra early in the morning. 
It's like the person who forgets to stop at the stoplight and says, well, stop twice for the next stoplight. Make up for it. Nothing can make up for it. Master told the wonderful story about one time when he was growing up that he got inspired to do a feeding for so many people. So they went around to different people and asked for foodstuffs. They, pre they prepared large cauldrons of rice, of subji, of these curried vegetables. And they fed thousands that day. And it was a very long day for them. And at the end of the day, after cleaning everything up and returning all the pots and pans and getting everything back where it belonged, he felt very, very tired. And he thought, I've done such good work today. Perhaps tonight I just won't meditate. Tonight I won't commune with God. And suddenly some part of his conscience pricked him and he thought, oh no, that's the wrong attitude. And he got up and he meditated. And once he got started meditating, such a gift of grace came to him. Through his own effort, it opened the door to grace and he spent the entire night wrapped in ecstasy in the divine joy of God's presence. I only wish that I could tell you in a convincing way how powerful, how great, how tremendous this God experience is. I only wish that I were better salesmen, that I could convince you that it's worth setting aside some of the things of this world in order to attain to that God consciousness. The potential that we hold within us is tremendous. It is tremendous. It is the next evolutionary step. It is, as Papa pointed out here, that at one point we took the step from the animal into the human. And this is a tremendous step. One of the things that God showed me once through Revelation was that one of the purposes of going through the Kali Yuga or the Age of Darkness is that it becomes as a twilight, a shadow period. And it is easier for souls to make the transition from the animal into the human at that time. And then they're caught on that upward swing and there's a gradual evolution that goes from the Kali to the Dwapara to the Trata and finally into the Satya Yuga or the Golden Age. And those souls that made the transition from the animal go through those transitional phases and go through the gradual evolution into the higher divine consciousness. And you see what a perfectly beautiful plan this is that uplifts the souls as they're ready to go through this transition. Now what this means is that there are people who are born with unrefined consciousness. And certainly the Darwinian survival of the fittest is very much in vogue for them. And life feels a contest. And you've got to win it at all costs. There's not a refinement of consciousness. There's not a refinement of soul yet that has taught the mind to attune itself to a higher mind, to a divine mind. But that will come. 
There are those who look for a sudden transition for this world to go through, and suddenly everyone will learn to behave as if overnight. The Christians have it as Jesus the Christ coming back. And through that, he'll set everything into order. And he'll get rid of the bad guys and the ones who go to the right church. They'll get the benefits. They'll get the front pews. Everyone else, well, perhaps they're just ushered out the door. Out they go. And that's their notion of things. But this world follows a more orderly plan than that. It is the sum total of our collective consciousness. And when we look out on this world and we see things that we don't like about this world, there's one place for us to go, and that's more deeply within our own consciousness. To establish ourselves in that divine consciousness, that's the greatest gift that we can give to this world. That's the greatest blessing that we can call upon it. We can imagine that there will be some great avatar, some great god-man or god-woman who will come along and straighten everybody out, but that really doesn't make any sense, does it? There are those who think that when you die, that if you're lucky enough, you get to go into heaven. But what if you have an unlovely personality and still you make it in? Wouldn't they make heaven a hell? They'd start complaining that things aren't exactly right for them and that people don't give them enough adulation, and on and on it would go. And suddenly everything would be drugged down to a lower level. Where have they learned to attune themselves to a higher consciousness, if not here? You take your tendencies with you. When we are born into this lifetime, we bring those tendencies that we have generated from past lifetimes. These are called samskaras. Samskaras. And they are those subconscious prompters that get triggered in us. Now they come along <laughs> as different fears and different desires. And we can give them power. I was talking to a young man of 14 the other day. And he had many questions about life and how to live this life. And I was telling him about these samskaras. And he said, well, I've taken up smoking occasionally. He's also taken up some drinking habits and some drugs. And he's been in trouble with the law. And so I explained to him that these tendencies are there. And it is up to us as to whether we feed those tendencies or we starve them out if we find that they have negativity associated with them. He says, well, that sounds like a hard life. I said, it is, until you compare it with an unregulated life and see what kind of mess that we can put ourselves into. I know of two different people, for instance, who took up smoking when they were young. They didn't think anything about it. It seemed like the right thing to do. By the time they are older, they both had emphysema. They didn't know each other. They were completely different, but I knew both of them. They had emphysema, and they were breathing out of oxygen tanks. One was taking a breath out of the oxygen tank and then taking a puff out of the cigarette. That's a little dangerous. In fact, one of them ended up exploding their home and burned down their home. 
That's how bad some of these habits can take over your life. It gets crazy. But in the beginning, you don't think so. You think you're in control of it. And then the habit takes control over you. You've awakened that samskara. You've awakened that tendency. And suddenly, you're not in control of the tendency. The, con- the tendency is control over you. And so we have to think carefully on these. How many things do we wish at an earlier age we had made some different decisions? How much trouble it would have saved us down the road? And so, yes, it is a hard life. And it would seem hard until you compare it with an unregulated life. What we don't know is that discipline leads to freedom. Discipline leads to freedom. The ego will tell you just the opposite. If I get to do what I want to do, that's freedom. But that's not freedom, that's license. And those are two different things. When we discipline ourselves to meditate, when we discipline ourselves to chant God's name, when we discipline ourselves to do those things that we know to be right and true and good, and we discipline ourselves to avoid those things that we know are pitfalls for us and draw us into dark ways, then we gain freedom. But it's not always hard. Once we starve that seed out from any nutrition so it has no life to it, it eventually dies out. And then it has no pull on us. We don't feel any charge on it. And that is the purification of the mind. And when you have no charges in your subconscious or your conscious minds that pull you towards things of this world at the expense of the divine consciousness, and the superconsciousness is feeding you like a direct pipeline flowing to you, uninterruptedly, then you live by divine consciousness alone. You have transformed yourself from the human to the divine. And this is the truth. This is what it means to become a God-man or a God-woman. Now, these things get reflected in our everyday life. When you are chronically late for things, when you come in late for a spiritual service, I can understand that you might be late for a job that you don't like very much. I can understand that you might be late for an appointment with a proctologist. But when God, who represents all happiness, all joy, all perfection within your being, how can you be late for that? Why do we deny ourselves? Why do we work at cross-purposes with ourselves? It is true, we're dealing with these tendencies that reside in the subconscious mind. But the one thing that we will notice, if we look at the paths of mother, of master, of papa, three very different personalities, but what they all shared was an intense longing and desire for realization. And that that intense desire overrode all their other tendencies, all their other desires. 
it became so paramount to them that nothing else could dissuade them. But how easily do we become dissuaded? The slightest little thing comes along and it distracts us. Or we wonder what other people will think about. Will they approve of us? Will they laugh at us? So many different things that come along that get in our way of our realization. Discrimination is jnani. Jnana is that ability to separate out the goats from the sheep, as Jesus talked about, the left hand from the right hand. And these are the good tendencies from the bad tendencies. Now, this is not hard to figure out. We can start with the scriptures and look at the commandments. Or if it is Patanjali, it can be the yamas and the niyamas, the do's and the don'ts. And we can start out with the reasoning mind. But then with a little bit of attunement and sensitivity, we can grow in our sense of discernment and discrimination. We know when something pulls us into a bad way. In talking with this young man who's very interested in music, he's had some suicidal tendencies. And he is asking about music, and he is saying, you know, some of the lyrics aren't so good, but he enjoys the music. I said, well, you can do this. If the music doesn't have any tendency to draw you into a negative down state, then listen to it and enjoy it. But if you find that it's drawing you into more suicidal kind of thinking, (coughs) then you will stop it right then. And you will give yourself something positive, something good, something wholesome, something that draws your mind up. You see, and he's, he's fighting this because he feels the draw into the tamasic. And it seems a strange thing that we would feel drawn into the negative, into the depression, into the despair. And yet it is true because those are tendencies that we have brought with us. And we actually feel a positive association, at least in the beginning, with what would normally be considered good, positive states. That mind can tell you that good is bad and bad is good. That right is wrong and wrong is right. We can get so mixed up, so twisted in our minds, we don't have any discernment left. And we play around with these things as if they don't matter. As if we can just do that for a little while and then we can just dissociate ourselves from it and move on. But it doesn't work that way. Whatever it is that you give life to takes on a power. And that power will begin to control your life. And if you give yourself into negativity, you will be controlled by that negativity. This is just so basic and so fundamental. And yet how many people completely ignore this? At their own peril, I will say. Now, it is true that we can look all of, at a, all of our life experiences and say that ultimately they will bring us into a state of realization. 
But when we make decisions that we know are not right for us, those have real and lasting consequences. And they will draw us into a state of consciousness that we will not be able to get out easily. Now the principle is this, that if you make a big enough mess of your life, you will be in such great pain that you'll be willing, willing to do anything to get out of that. And ultimately that pain will propel you toward realization. But tell me, who wants to go into that kind of depth and that kind of despair and that kind of pain as a means for realization when you can avoid it all? When right now, <coughs> excuse me, you can make the decisions that will begin to point you in the right direction. You have to use your will. You have to use your reason, your intelligence, as well as your intuition. <coughs> Excuse me. But if you can't use your intuition, then for God's sakes, use your reason and turn your life around. Begin to point it towards the light. If you do this, you may be in for some difficult times. It may be hard in the beginning to give up those things that you've treasured in your life. <coughs> But you will begin to turn your life around and suddenly you'll find that there are hidden forces that come into your aid. You are not alone. Grace will step in. And the moment you give it an opportunity, it will begin to help you to change and transform your life. This life is a veil of tears, as it's been called in the Vedas. It is a place of sorrow not because there's anything systemically wrong with this world, but we have placed it before our spiritual being in order of priority. And therefore we have reversed the order of this life. Jesus stated it when he said, Seek ye first God and his kingdom, and then all these other things will be added unto you. That is the real prioritization that should go on in our minds, in our hearts, and our souls. This divine life is the most tremendous thing and undertaking that you can imagine. As we prepare to go on this pilgrimage, We go with the intent and with humbleness of mind to receive everything in a spiritual way that is possible, to surrender ourselves as completely as possible at the feet of God and ask that he will come in and transform this little human self into the divine self. Pilgrimage is not as so much as a going to a certain place, although it oftentimes represents that. But going to a place also represents going to a new state of consciousness. And so you can join in this pilgrimage 
by attuning yourself to that shift into a new state of consciousness. Let go of the things of this world. Let go of your tenacious hold on the world. You will never regret it. Attune yourself to the divine consciousness. Learn to prioritize, to put that first. Don't let one day after another go by thinking, oh, always tomorrow, tomorrow, I will do it tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is only this moment. There is only here. There is only now. Do not penalize yourself by delaying that time when you will really put your feet upon the path with firm step and determination to put God first. There is such joy, such fulfillment, such light, such love that you cannot know and even when you attain your oneness with that divine consciousness, it continues to spring forth from your soul as a surprise and a delight that takes you even further into the consciousness of God. It is ridiculous from a human standpoint to think that you can know all of God because God is infinite. What you can do is establish your oneness with God and from that point of oneness springs forth revelation after revelation, bliss after joyful bliss, love pouring through your heart from a never-ending flood of love. And your human mind may be even so twisted that says, oh yeah, that sounds all right, but I'd probably get tired of that too. No way. No way. Or maybe I'll get there, but it's just an illusion. It's just one more illusion if this whole world is an illusion. No way. How will I know? You will know. You will know because you will have touched the hem of God's robe. And the truth of that will be self-revelatory. You will know that you know. Now you grow in that realization. And that realization comes on you slowly at first, but then it begins to pick up momentum. And the tests come, but so does the realization. So do the experiences. And finally, God reveals himself in all of his glory and his power and his beauty. And you simply melt as a sugar cube would melt into the sea. You melt into the great beingness of God and there is no separation. There is no nothing other than that divine consciousness. How can you say it? How can you convey it? How can you convince the mind of the greatness of that experience? Only know that it is waiting for you and it is calling for you. So seek out your spiritual adventure. Seek out your pilgrimage, whether you are going to a distant place or staying right where you are. The pilgrimage all happens within yourself, really. 
there are places and times that sometimes call to us. But the real pilgrimage happens right within yourself. You need not leave your home to go on a pilgrimage. But enter into the sacred precincts within your own soul. And you will discover there a glorious kingdom of light that has been shining and dwelling within you all this time. And you will stand in wonder how you could ever have lived so long without knowing of its presence residing right within you. It's quite something to contemplate. And yet it is true. So please seek out your own pilgrimage and give yourself the gift of moving into the kingdom of heaven within yourself. I would like you to continue coming to services while we're gone to support your center leaders, to come together in love and light. There is a great strength that occurs when you come together. There are also master's lessons that are available from center leaders. You can get a CD disc and make copies for yourself and then return the CD discs. And Carla is able to get out more and more of the talks. So through these ways, to deepen your spiritual study and your path. And then when we come together again in March, then we'll have many wonderful things to be able to say to each other about the greatness of realization, the fulfillment that is to be found by following the way. Please keep me in my mind, in your mind, in your thoughts, and your prayers as you will be in mine. My deepest love, my blessings with you always. Will you please pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, Divine Mother, I feel the wonder and the beauty of thy glorious presence. In every part of my being, my heart is bursting with my love for Thee. I kneel in adoration at Thy feet, and surrender myself to Thee. I feel the power of Thy perfection, surging in every cell of my body, my mind and my intelligence. Are radiant with thy healing light. My soul is filled with the ecstasy and bliss of my communion with thee. I and my Father are one. Blessed Spirit, I am he. 